Hear the word of God from the end of Matthew's gospel. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And now to the beginning of Acts, starting with verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Waypoint Church. Hope you're doing well today. It's a beautiful, beautiful day to be with all of you today. So we're going through a series, a short little mini-series right now in the life of our church, talk about the mission and vision of the church and really how the gospel drives us to what we're doing. Typically at Waypoint Church, we go through whole books of the Bible. We always jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the Old Testament, kind of back and forth because we believe the whole console of scripture. So this is just a short little mini-series that we're just doing on the mission of our church till we start our next series starting September 11th. That's not next week, but the week after. We're gonna start a new series on the history books. So we start with 1 Samuel. So that's gonna be a ton of fun. All fall, we're gonna be in the history books in the Old Testament together. And um, that's kind of our pattern, our routine. But just every year during about these three weeks, kind of transitioning summer to the fall, We do a short little mini-series talking about who we are as a church, our values, what we're about. Kind of a reminder time for us as a church who've been here. Also an introduction for people who've maybe not heard or don't really know what we're about. And so for today, I want us to, and then the next week, I want us to just dive into kind of what we're about, who we are. Last week, Pastor Danny preached about the Trinitarian nature of the gospel. How the gospel is both cosmic and personal. This week, I want to talk about how the gospel compels our mission. And when I think about mission, I can't help but think about this passage I read in the book of John recently. It's in chapter 14. And you find Thomas. I love Thomas. He's one of my favorite characters. I think he gets a bum rap, by the way. What does everybody know Thomas as? That's right. I mean, come on. Your whole rest of history knows you as doubting Thomas from one question you asked one time. Am I right? It's kind of a bum deal. But I love Thomas. Thomas is great. Bold to ask Jesus. He says, Jesus, no, 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 I want to see the holes in your hand. I love that about him. He was bold to ask him. And so he's a bum rap. That's, I'm going to give a whole other spiel. When I preach on Thomas one day, you'll hear, I love Thomas. But Thomas says to the Lord, he says, Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And this question, for some reason, as, as I've talked about vision, as I've been processing vision of our church and our mission, has been kind of ringing in my head. I don't, we don't know where you go, so how can we know the way? And it's been sitting with me. I find myself wondering, I wonder how many people in our church know where we're going. I wonder if they don't know where we're going, and then if they don't know where we're going, they don't know how to walk in that way. 
And so this little, whole little mini-series, I want us to get the vision and mission of who we are as a church and where it is that we're going. I don't want us to be like Thomas in this way. I want us to say, Lord, I don't want us to say, Lord, we don't know where we're going. We don't know the way, so how are we going to walk in it? But instead, I want all of us to be together, united so that we know where we're going. We see the vision that God's planted before us. We see the heartbeat of what God's trying to do in us. We know the reason we're here. The reason we exist in community as this local church body. Not to pat ourselves in the back. Not to have a good new membership. Not to make cool new friends. Not to be part of a country club or a social society. Not to sit in the front porch drinking sweet tea thinking how good we look. But instead we're called to be a local church together. To accomplish the purposes of God in this place and to the ends of the earth. That's what I want us to get at today. Now, mind you, before I dive into this, I want you to hear something, that my sermon today is not a critique on any one of you in particular. It's not a critique overall. It's not a condemnation message. This is a message of inspiration. This is a message that says we get to be more than a social club. We get to be more than just friends hanging out together and patting ourselves in the back. We get to be more than just a group of people who have like-minded interests. We get to be a mission together. Our scripture reading in Acts chapter 1 today, and I love the idea of what Acts chapter 1 is. It's the birth of the church. Jesus is resurrected. He's appeared to his disciple, and he's about to ascend to heaven. And this is where the birth of the church comes from. This is where we get our vision and our mission. I want us to dive into what that looks like for us. And before I do this, I just want to start off by saying, Waypoint, I love you. I love you guys. I love this church so much. You guys have been my heart and my family for the past eight and a half to almost nine years since we planted. And God has done a great work in us. He's done a great work through us. And I think the world of this church and the people who make up this church, but guys, can I tell you something? As much as I love you guys, we have not arrived yet. That we haven't done everything that God's called us to do. We have so much more. And I want us to be a team that is aware of the calling that God has placed upon us. This beautiful mission that he's given us. I want us all to know it. I want it to be so beyond our hearts that we know exactly where we're going. We have a picture of it, a clear vision of where we're going. That if one of us is led astray, if one of us goes the wrong direction, we can be like, no, 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 that's not the way we're going. Let's go together. And we're encouraging one another along the way. It's like being in a parade. I want us all to know the parade route that we're going to go on. I want us all to know the end result of where the parade's going to end up. If you're just blindly following the person in front of you, you have no idea where you're going, that could lead to problems. If you're just following the high school marching band in front of you, and all of a sudden the high school marching band takes a right turn and we're supposed to take a left, and all of a sudden now we have Snoopy floating down the uh, other part of the city, you don't want that. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? No? You guys get that? Don't just follow the high school marching band. Don't just follow the one in front of you guys. What I mean to say is this, guys. As we become members and a part of this local church body together, I don't want you just to follow what everybody else just does. I want you to capture the vision. I want you to know what it is that God's called us as a body to accomplish and to do. This is not something that you just sign up and say, well, I'll just do whatever Gina's doing. I'll just do whatever anybody else is doing. But I want us all to know the direction and the place that we're going so that we can go there together, so that we can encourage each other along the way. That we can hold each other accountable. Because at Waypoint Church, our system of governance is such that we give power and authority and accountability to the congregation. You guys drive us. At New Member Class at Explore Waypoint, we always say this, our church is always reforming. 
Our church is always changing because you guys are what makes up the church. Your hearts, your passions, your experiences, you are the church. And so we're always changing because we're always adding new people with new stories and new passions. And so we're always growing as a church, but we all need to be on the same vision, the same passion, what he's called us initially to be. At Waypoint Church, we say there is no bench. And what we mean by that is that if you're on the team, you're playing in the game. That's what you're called to. So let's look at what that vision looks like and where we know how to walk in that way. In the beginning of Acts, Jesus is appearing to his disciples, showing them who he is and speaking about the kingdom. He commands them to, what, to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. The disciples then ask, and put this on the screen, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What kind of work has Christ called this church to? What is our mission? If you look back in verses 6 and 7, like we just read, you see the disciples are pretty confused about this question. Actually, in verse 3, Jesus, it says that Jesus was talking to them after his resurrection, and he said, spent some time talking about the kingdom of God. So here's their question, and you can kind of understand their thinking. They've been thinking about the nature of the kingdom, they've been hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom, so they ask, God, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? John Calvin says about this verse, says, there are many errors in this question as there are words. You see, they've been thinking about the kingdom and they have some sense that some momentous new phase of the kingdom is about to break in. They have some sense that Jesus is Lord and he's gonna do this amazing thing, but they misunderstand the nature of the kingdom. John Stott is helpful here. He says, the verb, the noun, and the adverb of this sentence all betray doctrinal confusion about the kingdom. And those of you who struggle with grammar, me included, I started school, guys. I was talking to this, this is a complete side note, but I was just thinking about this the other day. Earlier out here, Lou and I were talking to some teachers, and we were talking about this is the start of school, and Lou said, oh, I'm the reason teachers had headaches, and I was a troublemaker in school and all that kind of stuff. And I looked over at Lou and I said, Lou, you have no idea. I was that student that every teacher loved and hated. You know, I was that student that, like, he's kind of funny and he's kind of nice, but he's also the most messes up my class every single time, right? And so I was, as a student, and I say all this because grammar, mind you, mind you, English major, grammar was never my strong suit. <laughs> Just saying. So if you need help with grammar, that's okay. So let me help you out here. The verb restore, he says, will you restore the kingdom? And here's a mistake they're making. This restoration implies that there's a political kingdom that they had previously been lost, which Jesus will now restore to them. He's gonna restore that kingdom. That's what they're thinking is, that's, what, that's the expectation. And then there's a noun, Israel. Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? That implies this political kingdom that they think Jesus is gonna bring back, which will be ethnocentric. They're focused on the Jewishness of the kingdom. They're looking for Jesus to come back in the great reversal of Israel's political and global fortunes. You guys have to remember that at this moment, they're under Rome's tyrannical rule. So they're looking for this great reversal of fortune. They're looking for Jesus to now bring back, because he's powerful, he came back from the dead, he can do anything, to be like, all right, now, Rome, ha, that's my war thing. He wants to do that to Rome. And all of a sudden, Rome's going to be like, ah, oh, you're too powerful, and they're going to have a King David-like kingdom again. That's their expectation. Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And they say this adverbial clause, it says, at this time. 
Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? An immediate moment, right now, we need it, we've been waiting, you're resurrected, do it. But if you look at verse eight, you'll see Jesus' response offers a significantly different vision of the nature of the kingdom and the nature upon which he's sending his disciples and the nature of our mission and vision. He starts off with, you will receive power. Stop right there. You can imagine what's going on in the disciples' minds. I'll receive power? Sweet, that's what we want. That's what we need around here, a bit more power. Power to overthrow the Roman domination, power to establish a new political order, power to make Israel great again. That's the kind of power we want. And I bet you they're even thinking, what kind of power are we talking about, Jesus? If it was me, I'd be like, like Samson-type super strength? I'd be okay with that. Laser eyes? Whatever you want to give me, I'm, I'm willing to accept, Jesus. I'll take the power, right? That's what they're thinking. Fly? I don't know. But they're sitting because Jesus walked on water, he resurrected from the dead, he did miracles. Why not give me superhuman strength? This rotation of power, of course, is not new to the disciples. Back in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse 35, James and John came to Jesus with a request. What do you want me to do for you that Jesus asked? And here's what they said. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. They wanted power. They wanted prestige. They wanted position. They wanted glory. They wanted personal supremacy and superiority. That's what they're looking for. Now here they are again on the brink of, of Jesus' extension to glory. They've watched the resurrection. They've seen the empty tomb. Here he is alive among them, still bearing the marks of self-giving love. And they still don't get it. They're looking for power. They're looking for earthly political kingdom. They're looking for a place where they reign. Their people reign. Jesus has to correct them. He says, you know, the kingdom is not about power, but power of a different kind not political power, not personal supremacy, not power for national security, it's spiritual power. That's what it says, it says you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit that will enable you to be my witnesses. That's the nature of the mission, it's a spiritual mission. And just to be clear with you guys, I, want, I hope you agree, I think you will agree, that this temptation for power is a temptation for the church at almost every age, isn't it? Sometimes it comes in rather subtle ways. Sometimes the church will give into this temptation by thinking thoughts like, oh, it's just good strategy to become the most influential. It's just good strategy to get the wealthy and the important. It's just good strategy to grow as fast as possible, not to say anything controversial or not to step on toes or, or not to make anybody feel uncomfortable. Let's just gather as much power as possible. Always go bigger. It can sound plausible, but has very little to do with the nature of the kingdom described in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29 says this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. This is the real nature of the kingdom. It's counterintuitive. We look for power. We look for the person on top of the pyramid and thinking they'll just get the rest. When it's actually the least and lowest, Jesus says, will be the instruments of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
That was certainly his response to James and John that day in Mark chapter 10. James and John were looking for power, prestige, and this is what he says. He says, you know that those who are regarded as ruler of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give himself as a ransom for many. Here's a quote by John Stott. It says, the kingdom of God is his rule in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. It is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers. Through gospel of peace, not a declaration of war, and by the spirit, not by force of arms, political intrigue, or revolutionary violence. Let me say this very clearly to you, my people. The power we have been given to advance his kingdom is not power of influence or of arms. It's not power of wealth or social superiority. No, the power we've been given is the power to lay ourselves down and serve. Do you hear that? Power to not give in to the world's agenda. Power to not give in to consumerism, materialism, and philosophies of this day and age. The power we have is deeper and more profound than anything physical. It is spiritual because we have a spiritual mission. That is the power we have. To say, I don't care what the world says about power prestige. I lay myself down because the one I serve is better. That's what happens when you're loved. And you find out what, what's most important. I love how Jesus describes it this way. When you find something that's so important, a treasure in the field, you sell everything to buy that field so you can have that treasure because it's worth so much more. That's the power we have. We've been given something that says, hey, everything else the world thinks is so important, oh, I'll give you power above all of it. To know that it's not that important because what you have is so much more. Our vision as a local church is to glorify God by advancing his kingdom by making disciples. We have a spiritual mission, not a social one, not a political one, not a psychological one, not a medical one, not a philanthropic one. Rather, we've been entrusted with a message. We have the good news for the world. The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ lives and he reigns. He is king and his kingdom is spiritual and it is here, it is now, it is advancing. And you can enter it by faith, by trusting him and turning from your sin. We're naturally cast out. We're naturally blocked from that place because of our sin. But at the cross, the king himself, the Lord Jesus paid personally and in full for everyone's sin that will come and trust in him. The path to citizenship you see in his kingdom involves no paperwork, no immigration services. You need no qualifications to come and belong except a willingness, a willingness to be known and to receive his love and forgiveness, to turn your life from living on your terms and submit to him, to trust him to be your only savior, redeemer, and Lord. That's our message. That's our mission. That is what we're called to spread to everyone. To everyone. Now, who is everyone? And Jesus' answer to this is mind-blowing. It's really not attainable in our own strength. It's altogether beyond us, enormous, overwhelming. They're to go to the ends of the earth. In the book of Acts, when Paul gets to Rome, the book ends actually there. The book ends when Paul gets to Rome. Because at that time, Rome was the capital city of the empire. For them, symbolically speaking, it was the ends of the earth. And so the book of Acts ends as though Acts 1-8 had been fulfilled almost. But we know, reading in light of the whole New Testament, that the end of this is an unfinished task. Matthew 28-19 says to the disciples, go make disciples of Ponta to Ethne. 
which is all nations. That phrase lifted directly from Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It's the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. In God's covenant with Abraham, he says to Abraham, in your seed, in one of your descendants, panta de ethne, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Through Jesus, who's going to come? The gospel is going to go to reach the world, to all nations. And in Matthew's gospel, before his ascension, Jesus said, you're the ones who are going to bring it to pass. And that time has come. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 8, we're given a glimpse of the future of the task completed, at last done, mission done, finished, the world reached with the gospel. And it tells us what it looks like. It says he sees a vast multitude of all gathered around the throne of God and of the Lamb, adoring him, who by his blood redeemed them from sin and death and hell. And where have they all come from? Is they have come from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. How big is the scope of the mission Christ has given to his church? As big as the world. Who gets to belong? Who may enter the kingdom of Christ by grace through faith in him alone? Anyone and anywhere. And we're, just, we're to go to those who have never heard. This is a big, scary, global-spanning, boundary-smashing, comfort-shattering, division-straddling, every class, every gender, every ethnicity, embracing vision. Nobody excluded, nobody shut out. There's no one who does not belong in the kingdom of Jesus. And it's a vision that I want you to get. It's a vision that's not been committed to some other random group or some other random people you don't know. This is not a call that Christ has given to a, another church that we can choose to ignore. This is a vision he has entrusted to us. To us. We're to go to Ponta de Ethne, all nations, you and me, all of us, with the good news of Jesus Christ. And for the disciples, it started in Jerusalem, the city where they lived, and then they went to Judea, then Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Waypoint Church's vision starts to us right here, right now, in this area that we live in. We call this area, it could be the Triangle, or Chapel Hill, or Durham, or Cary, or Morrisville. There's a million different names for this area. You call it Raleigh-Durham as if it's one word. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Two different cities, but people just say Raleigh-Durham. But this location where you are, this community where you're placed now is where we start. Our place matters to us. God has called you guys here for a reason. I don't care if you're here for a year. I don't care if you've been here your whole life. God has called you here right now for a reason. And here is where you're called to start off serving. Do you hear me? If you're here for, as a student, if you're an undergrad at UNC, this is where you're called to serve. Here. If you're here for one year and you're doing residency, or if you're here, you just moved here from California, or you moved here from Alaska, or if you're a visiting scholar, it doesn't matter. If you've been here your whole life and this is all you know, right now God has called you here for a reason. He is divine, He is sovereign, and He's working things out. He's called you here. What are you doing? We want to equip you to be witness for Christ in your home, in your workplace, and with your friends. We want you to show hope to the hopeless, to show the fatherless they have a father, to feed the hungry, to enact justice, to exude mercy, to preach the gospel and advance his kingdom. Here, right here, right now, where God's called you. Do you guys get that? Nod your head if you understand what I'm saying. We're then called from this city to this region, and we'll call that whether it's the southeast or the state or to North America or this continent, whatever it may be, we're called to this nation, to areas that God's called our spheres of influence to keep on expanding outward. 
And here's a cool thing. I don't know if you guys know this, but in Jerusalem, the church was gathered. The church in the early church in the book of Acts was gathered together and they weren't leaving. Right? If you guys know this, Jesus literally told them, go. Make disciples of all these places to the ends of the earth. But they're all like, it's pretty nice here in Jerusalem. They were kind of hanging out, right? You guys know this story in the book of Acts? What happened? Persecution happened, didn't it? Persecution happened until they went. And they took the gospel out. Guys, I am not saying that we need persecution. But we need something to compel us. Because for some strange reason, guys, the church so often is so insular. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? So often we just think about ourselves and our comfort. We think about, most importantly, our comfort, our safety, our desires, our needs. When there's a world before us. And I hope everyone who comes to Waypoint Church will also see this. That we're called to the nations, we're called to the globe, we're called to the ends of the earth. All tribes, all people. One of the great tragedies of our age is there currently, right now, with all our modern technology, with everything that happens, right now there are 6,738 people groups who are unreached. Let me say that again. Right now, one of the greatest tragedies of our age is there are over 6,700 people groups who are unreached. 42% of the global population has no church, no scriptures, and no sustained gospel witness. Can I say that one more time? 42% of the global population has no church, no scriptures, and no sustained gospel witness. We believe we've been called, we believe every church has been called to reach the unreached with the good news of Jesus. This is our field, this is our mission, this is our mandate from our king, this is the vision, to go to Pata de Ethne, to all the nations, in obedience to him. Guys, what does that look like, practically speaking? Does that mean, everybody, I want you guys to get a backpack and go ahead and leave right now? If you want to, go for it. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, guys, can you hear me very well, that God has called some of us to be, no, not some of us, all of us, to wherever you're at, wherever place he's called you, to right there, to invest in his kingdom and come on earth as it is in heaven. Can I tell you my favorite things about this Jesus that we worship? My favorite things is he has this incredible prayer. He literally prays to God, 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 may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This beautiful prayer. And his very means, though, of enacting that prayer, his very means of that prayer coming true, what does he do? He sends you to accomplish it. Talk about purpose and dignity. His very heartfelt prayer to God is that his kingdom come on earth as heaven. He says, you know what? God, I know you can do it. You can snap your fingers. You can do whatever you want. But I want my people, by whom I love, to be, feel the dignity and the purpose and the worth that's not just for now and here today and gone tomorrow. I want them to feel the worth that comes from doing something that's global and eternal and worth doing. So they say, okay, I want, God, I want my kingdom to come. Jesus, I want, God, I want your kingdom to come on earth as heaven. So will you send my people to do it? So here's the deal. What that means for each and every one of you is that every one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a different king, and under that king, his name is Jesus, that king is the one that compels you, sets your mission, sets your agenda. And right now, he's called you, if you're here, he's called you here right now 
to be a part of this body, if you're part of this body, that he's called you to be part of the global work that God's doing through this body. Does that make sense? So yes, some of you he's called to be trained up and raised up to go overseas. Absolutely. Yes, some of you he's called up to trained up and raised up to, to minister to people here right now. Absolutely. To your friends and to your spheres. Absolutely. Some of you he's called up to raise funds and support ministries everywhere. Absolutely. Some of you called raised up to pray and to invest in encouragement to people. Absolutely. Every one of you are called to do whatever God's called you in the function of his body through the local church together. Every one of you. Whether you're a finger, a nose, a knee, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of, I don't know why I can't think of body parts all of a sudden. There's a lot of them. <laughs> we all have different parts to play. We're called to do it together in the body. So Waypoint Church, where are we going? Do you know? I beg of you, my people, know where we're going. Know our mission so that you can know how to walk in that way. God has called us to something so profound and something so beautiful. He's called us to be the church. A growing church for his glory. A body of believers who are witnesses. Who walk in mercy and justice. Who love and live in unity. Who show ourselves as a coming attraction of the kingdom of heaven. You guys, if you've been through Waypoint or if you've been here for a while, you know that I feel like we have a twofold purpose of being the local church. We have a twofold purpose. One, our purpose is to be the coming attraction of the kingdom of heaven. What that looks like, you guys, I love trailers. I love you know, watching new film trailers for movies. You know, I'm the guy that likes to get early to movie theaters and actually sit there and watch all the trailers. I love it because when you watch it, you see this like, oh man, look at those awesome fight scenes or there's chase scenes or these awesome scenes. I'm like, I gotta watch that movie. I wanna watch that movie. I long to watch that movie. Guys, the way we love, the way we minister to each other, encourage one another, to do all the one another statements in the Bible and our unity in our, in our body, that's supposed to show people that that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like. So that when they see you guys, when they see the church fleshing this out, they're like, Oh man, that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like? I gotta, have, I gotta be a part of that. I desperately need that. I wanna watch that movie. I wanna be a part of that. Do you hear what I'm saying? Not because we're perfect, because even in our imperfection, God shows grace and mercy and we can live with grace and mercy united together. How amazing is that? We're going to be the coming attractions. That's the first part. The second part of this twofold purpose of the local church body is that we get to be the very means of God's kingdom advancing on earth as it is in heaven. What that means, as John Stott said, is that it advances through the people, the, the, the very image bearers of Jesus becoming more like Jesus where his rule and reign exists in the hearts of his people. And so we see justice and mercy flow where his people are making more image bearers of his people. Does that make sense? We advance his kingdom by making disciples, by serving, by loving. And we've been given power to do that. Now I've heard, I look around, and honestly I see some of you guys here and I just don't really know you. And some of you guys are here visiting because you have really cute kids about to be family commissioned today. So glad you guys are here. Loved seeing you guys. Glad you guys are here visiting with us. 
Some of you guys are here because you're new. And I'm so grateful that you guys are here. I love the fact that for some reason God's called you here to be a part of this, but there's some people who kind of might be here at Waypoint Church who've been here for a long time and be like, oh, but I missed the old nostalgic Waypoint. You know, where we would walk in and know every single person and be like, Bill, how's, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing well, Steve. I, Bill is my name, not Steve's my other one. <laughs> it's hard sometimes when we grow. We feel growing pains, right? That's what growing pains are. It's hard to grow because pains happen. So I had a guy ask me the other day, why do you want to see growth happen in our church? Why is that a desire outcome, right? And can I be honest with you? In some ways, it might not be. Like, in some ways, like, I don't want to get bigger as a church because it's a lot more work for me. I'm lazy. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Having to deal with parking and seating, I'm like, ah, knowing more people. I love people, but I'm like, I'm just tired. <laughs> right? It's not, I mean, honestly, it's just like, ugh, it's more work. Why do I want people, why do we want to see our church grow? Number one, because people need Jesus. People need Jesus. I want people to know. Guys, I want so desperately my life's mission and desire is I want desperately them to taste and see that God is good, to find their satisfaction in Christ alone, their identity in him, and how it changes everything. It happened in my life. I want it to happen in yours because I love people. And I want them to know Jesus so much. I want to see his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I want to see creation made new. I yearn for it. I see what's broken in creation. I see what's broken. And God, for some reason, said he's going to make it new through making disciples. So I want to see that happen. I also know that growth means more workers and the harvest is ripe. And we need more workers. My people, we are called to a purpose here at Waypoint Church. There's a commission, a mandate from our king before us. Our king didn't say get like-minded people together and feel good about yourselves on Sunday mornings. He didn't say live for your own safety and comfort. Our self-sacrificing, all-giving King Jesus has called us to something so much more. He's called us to be his local church, the extension of his body, to effectively make disciples here and to the ends of the earth. He's given us power to do it. He's given us the power to lay ourselves down and to serve and love others well. May we embrace our vision. May we see where we're going. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you've given us a global, eternal vision. You've given us a calling and a mandate that's worthy of any adventure story. You've called us to advance your kingdom. And you've given us the power to do so by your Holy Spirit. That we can lay down. Lay down ourselves. Lay down our desires, our comforts, our needs and give it all to you. We can actually lay down and serve others because of your power. We can turn away from the sins and the philosophies that trap everyone else. You've set us free. So God, will you give our church, will you give every member, every person a vision of what we're called to be and called to do, and will you knit our hearts together to accomplish your purposes? In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.